Chav Gimel Tammuz Tafshin Ayin Gimel, 23rd day in the month of Tammuz, 5773. We are coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to a three weeks special edition of the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. <laughs> Roshi, Esaina, 
The amazing YU Maccabees with Awim Roshi. You are tuned to the Israel on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to this three weeks edition, Bain Hamitzarin. It's the period between Shiva Sarbat Tammuz and Tisha B'Av, where we change the speed just a little bit. We're going to be playing um, slow and inspirational music to Israeli music, but slow and inspirational Israeli music today. Um, as is the custom at JM in the AM. We are here every Monday morning immediately following JM in the AM, 9 AM Eastern Time, 4 PM Israel Time, and where we broadcast on the stream at NachumSiegel.com on Wednesday afternoons at 3 PM. But you don't need to wait for that. You can listen whenever you like, because um, we are on the archives at NachumSiegel.com as well. And of course, via the absolutely free app available for the iPhone, iPad, iPod, iPad Mini, iTunes. No, actually not iTunes. Uh, via the uh, iTunes store. So look for that. And, of course, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Israel Show, uh, is growing. And we welcome our latest liker, Desiree. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Welcome. Thank you so much for liking the Israel Show's Facebook page. We posting, we will be posting during the broadcast links to some of the songs that we play. Uh, last night we posted a link to a free ebook written by Dr. Gidon Rothstein, who we will be interviewing later on. This is really an amazing. It's a real. It's a full book, and it's called A Haftarah Companion. Uh, has um, short essays on each haftarah. And the subtitle is uh, Aftarah Companion as a Way of Finding a Theology of Judaism. Um, and it's free, absolutely free. There's a link on our Facebook page. Later on, we'll also post links to uh, Rabbi Rothstein's other books, which are available on Amazon.com. He's written several. And uh, we will have an interview with Rabbi Dr. Gideon Rothstein a little later in the show about the Aliyah Imperative. It's a must say, fascinating to hear what he has to say. Uh, in addition, later on in the show, we'll, we'll, we will bring you um, the take of Daniel Gordis, who's a wonderful thinker, author from the Shalem Center now in Yerushalayim, Why Europe Has a Problem with Israel, and it, he really has a unique 
outlook and viewpoint on this question. It's not the usual things that you're used to hearing. It's something very, very different and very interesting. So we'll bring you the audio of that. It's uh, actually, we'll tell you where to get the video. We'll link the video on our page as well. And um, slow and inspirational Israeli music. And something brand new literally came out yesterday. Hamadregot, a group that we featured here before, they are working on an album. All the songs on the album were written, the words, were written by Rabbi Avraham Ibn Ezra. They came out with a new one, perfect timing for the three weeks, called H to Kadbikirbi. It's a kina that we say on Tisha B'Av morning, B'tseiti Mimitzrayim, B'tseiti Mirushalayim. It contrasts those two. I never realized that it was written by Rabbi Avraham Ibn Ezra. And uh, now I know, and now we all know. Uh, Hamadrigot put new music to it. Fascinating, interesting. We're debuting it here on the Israel Show for your listening inspiration and enjoyment as well, we hope. My name is Mayor Wangart, and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Chet Bikirbi from the keynote of Tisha B'Av, brand new, literally hot off the presses. And yes, we posted a link to the YouTube video of the song on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Israel Show. If you'd like to comment, send us any feedback, song suggestions, requests, recommendations, anything, we'd love to hear from you. The email address is mayor, M-E-I-R, Meir, at NachumSiegel.com, Meir, M-E-I-R, at NachumSiegel, N-A-C-H-U-M-S-E-G-A-L dot com. Story out of Israel last week, um, it's fascinating. It is a, a real study about what is going on in Israel. The city of Tel Aviv is a very secular city, and... Um, Unlike many other of this, many other cities in Israel, they have um, restaurants are open on Shabbat, places of entertainment are open on Shabbat, and every city in Israel can decide, the city council can decide whether they want to allow local stores to be open or not on Shabbat. These are local city laws. There is a general law, a national law about things on the national scale that you are not allowed to have work being done on Shabbat. For example, in, in uh, let's just say, in an airport. Unnecessary work or things like that. But local stores are set by the municipality, and the law in Tel Aviv is that stores must be closed on Shabbat from sundown Friday till Motzei Shabbat. Now, over the past few years, several chains, chain stores, convenience stores, started opening on Shabbat. One is called AMPM, the other is called Tivtam. They are like small supermarkets. They're, they're chains of these stores throughout the country, and the ones in Tel Aviv remained open on Shabbat, and people came and shopped. Now, the law, though, says that the store cannot be open on Shabbat. So what did the city of Tel Aviv do? They would send an inspector... Usually the inspectors are not Jewish, by the way, which is how they work on Shabbat. The city would send an inspector to see that the store is open. They're violating the city ordinance. They'd give the store a, a ticket, a violation. The store would have to pay the violation, and everybody was happy. The city made money. The store remained open, and the city actually was happy that the stores remained open because, again, Tel Aviv sees itself as a secular city, and would like for their residents to have stores available where they can buy stuff that they need. A lawsuit was brought to the high court, the Bagats, but not to be confused with the Badats, that's something totally different. The Beddin Gaval Tzedek, the high court in Israel, Israel Supreme Court. A lawsuit was brought, and the lawsuit basically claimed, hey, the city of Tel Aviv is, uh, is making a mockery out of its own laws. If the law is that the store has to be closed, then the city should force the store to be closed rather than this going on for years and years where the city just comes and collects a fine, if you will, and the store remains open. And the high court, in fact, ruled that the city of Tel Aviv is making a mockery of the law and they have a choice. Either they change the law, in which case by law certain stores can be open, or they have to enforce the law in a real way, which means they have to force the stores to close. They can't just come in, give them a ticket, violation, collect the money, and, and leave. 
The interesting part of this, to me, is that the lawsuit was not brought by religious people. The lawsuit was brought by other stores, smaller stores, makolet that we call, well, like we we would call it in in Israel, the makolet, right? The local grocery store, the ma and pa business. They wanted a rest on Shabbat. They didn't want to have to open on Shabbat, but on the other hand, they're losing customers to these big chains because people on Shabbat, it's a day off, they don't have to work, so they'll go and do their shopping, and the small stores were losing their business. So it's fascinating that here Shabbat is seen in what often we call a social justice way. A small businessman wants to be able to rest once a week, wants to have a day off and not be forced by the competition, by the big guy who can swallow him up and who can afford to pay the city fines, doesn't want to have to be forced to go and work on Shabbat. And they won. I find it fascinating. There are many in Israel who feel that religion might be better served if it was if the politics were left out and sometimes that's true in this case if imagine if a religious party or a religious organization would have brought this lawsuit then the media and the left in Israel would be yelling and screaming about coercion religious coercion and so forth and here it comes from quite unexpected place the local mom pa grocery and they won. Now it will be interesting to see, and we'll, we'll follow it for you. We'll see if the city of Tel Aviv will change the law, or whether this coming Shabbat they'll shut down the stores. Stay tuned. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. A little later we'll bring you an um, interview that we did with Rabbi Gideon Rothstein. In the meantime, we continue with slow and inspirational Israeli music, appropriate for the three weeks. The period Bein HaMitzarim, between Shiva Sarbatamuz and Tisha B'Av. Here is Lahakat Alma, of their album Sha'ar, with Abba Yakar.
with Abba Yakar, and the Abba in this case is our Father in Heaven, Avinu Malkeinu. My name is Mayor Wangard, and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Um, we're going to do one more number, and then we're going to go straight to the interview with Rabbi Gideon Rostin. Stay tuned for that. You are going to find it fascinating, interesting, maybe even provocative. And uh, we invite your comments both on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Israel Show. And if you'd like to send us an email, you could do so as well, mayor at nachomsegel.com, mayor, M-E-I-R, at nachomsegel.com. We do have a way to listen to us if you're not hooked into the Internet. You're somewhere where there is no Internet. You can do it on the phone. That's right. We have a few local numbers, New York, United Kingdom, Israel and L.A. Dial up, listen in. Maima does it every week on the New York line, 212-419-4241, 212-419-4241. In the United Kingdom, tell your friends, you have a friend in the United Kingdom, send them an email, say you got to listen to this. Not only the Israel show, by the way, the entire Nachum Siegel stream, you can listen all the time. The number of the United Kingdom is 44 And in Israel, it's a local call, 072-224-2792. It's a local call in Israel, of course. 
Um, okay, we're going to Yonatan Razel with his hit, Katonti. Very appropriate for this time of year. Slow and inspirational off of his album, Bain Hatzlilim. You're tuned to The Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten, and we are coming to you on the Nachum Siegel Network.
The Israel Show, and we are very happy and proud to welcome Rabbi Dr. Gidon Rothstein. Uh, Rabbi Rothstein is a Musmach of Yeshiva University's Reitz, Rabbeinu Yitzchak Ochanan Theological Seminary, and holds a doctorate from Harvard on a topic that is way too hard for me to figure out based on its title, uh, but it's impressive enough that he holds a doctorate from Harvard. Rabbi Dr. Rothstein is the author of several books, including... We're Missing the Point, What's Wrong with the Orthodox Community and How to Fix It, which I somehow thought might actually be an encyclopedia, but it seems that it's actually only one book. Um, Educating a People, and Haftarot, Companion as a Source for a Theology of Judaism, which, by the way, is available free by download, and we will post the link to that on our Facebook page. And he's author also of two works of Jewishly-themed fiction, Murder in the Mikdash, and Cassandra misreads the book of Samuel. Uh, rabbi Rothstein has worked as a congregational rabbi, teacher, and high school administrator. He currently resides in Riverdale, New York, with his wife and three children. Rabbi Rothstein, welcome to The Israel Show. Thank you for having me, Mayor. My pleasure, and thank you for joining us. I'm really focused on an article that you, that you released recently. I saw it on Gill Students' Uh, blog, the Hurim blog, and it's titled, Don't Call Me a Zionist, I Don't Deserve It. The major thrust of it is, is that as Orthodox Jews, we seem to be missing a major part of our Judaism when it comes to Israel. Why don't you just summarize briefly what your point of the article is? So I think there was a time, or at least in my experience, there was a time when People thought about moving to Israel. Some people did, and some people had reasons that they couldn't, and everybody has their own reasons, and I can't judge their reasons, and I hope they don't judge my reasons, and we all have our reasons. But recently I've met more and more people who don't think of it even as an issue, as a concern, as a question to raise for themselves, or people who had a reason that was relevant some time ago, and is no longer relevant, and yet nonetheless are no longer thinking about living in Israel. And I find that to be a difficult and a problematic problem for those of us who are living here. That we don't even raise the question anymore. We've gotten so used to being here, it's not even an issue for us. I, I very much agree totally with you, and I'm coming from the same place. But I find it interesting that historically, this seems to be a pattern of the Jewish people, going back even to the first Galut of Bavel, when the Persian Empire conquered the Middle East and gave Jews permission to return, Hatzarat Koresh. So we know that only a small number of Jews returned to Israel. And the same right. happened in the late 1800s, early 1900s, with the beginning of Zionism, when most Bayim and Rabbanim encouraged Jews not to leave Europe, not to go to Eretz Israel. Why, why is it? Can you see something in, the, in our gene pool, in the DNA of the Jewish people, that, that we have such a difficulty with this? So I think there are two different things that we should we should distinguish from each other. I think first that um, one is the Rabbanim being worried about going someplace where it's difficult to keep the Torah. And I think that's always a concern. I think it's an important concern. It just it sometimes retroactively you look and you think, well, that concern seems to have 
not worked out as, as well as other concerns might have. Meaning, coming to America before World War II was also a thing that there were rabbis who discouraged for very understandable reasons, because it was extraordinarily difficult to be a good observant Jew, and, and, and certainly observance is a is a vital, important thing. So, that, so the rabbis part, I, I, I hesitate to judge because I don't know how to weigh those factors. I think those rabbis were dealing with truly significant factors. I think in the early 20th century, it was very difficult to be an, an, an Orthodox. Shomer Torah mitzvahs in Israel, unfortunately. There was a lot of competition from other movements, and all those things were going on. I think it was very difficult. So I, I hesitate to judge that. I will note, though, I think people don't even think about it, even people who consider themselves Zionists, if more Orthodox Jews had moved to Israel in the 1910s, 1920s, and 1930s, imagine what the state would have ended up being. And we have the state we have now, which has many wonderful things for observance in it, and we have yeshivas thriving in Eretz Israel of all sorts, and that's without the firm world having really made Aliyah in those early formative stages. Imagine if in 1948 the percentages of Orthodox Jews in Israel had been even higher, what we would have ended up with. But that's just a, a thing. Right. For the rest, for the ordinary Jew, I feel like throughout history, when there have been opportunities, people just don't want to. It's always been hard in some way to go to Israel. Right? The Gemara tells us, Yisurim. You suffer a little bit. So sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's, you know, a lot of it's financial. It might be that you think your health is going to be good. You think the society is backwards, right? Maybe the culture isn't good enough for you. There are all sorts of things that make it just like it's a move. You have to change. I had, you know, I spoke to a guy recently who said, you know, he's in his whatever, 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever. If he moves now, he'll never get the language down well. He'll always sound like he has an accent. Right. So I feel like people, it's just the kind of thing to move unless you're forced to. Jews don't like to do it. It's just, uh, that's what I think it is. I think we get comfortable somewhere and we want to be comfortable. And we just want to be comfortable. We don't have to think about moving. We're talking with Rabbi Gidon Rothstein, author of Don't Call Me a Zionist, I Don't Deserve It. Yeah, it's interesting that um, when we talk about the period of the Nevi'im, there you have the Vuah, right? You have Yechezkel telling them it's going to Absolutely. be seven years, and then go back, Ezra and Nehemiah are yelling and screaming, you know, come, and 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 even even with that set up, even with the Nevuah, people are, I think it's the Gemara that says uh, people were just uh, too comfortable. That's it. People were just too comfortable. There's a story about the Chavetz Chaim in Poland, about the, the Balabatim in Poland, asking the Chavetz Chaim, I think it's in Poland, as I was saying, why is he always talking about Aliyah? Why is he always talking about Aliyah? It's so good there in Poland. And there's this whole story he tells about a, an exiled prince whose father eventually sends him, like, messengers to build whatever palace he wants there. You know, he's been exiled from his country. And the prince starts crying, and the friends will say, but your father's giving you so much money. And he's like, but if he's building me a palace here, it means he doesn't want me back so soon. Mm. So we, we, we get comfortable, and we, I agree. It, even Nivua isn't good enough to get people to realize they need to go back. Just a remark uh, on something that you said now uh, about the Chavetz Chaim. I often think that there is, I don't know if it's an irony or some form of divine intervention, that having the United States as a comfortable haven for Jews, mm-hmm. which really only started developing at the same time that Zionism started developing, meaning as the Yeshuv in Eretz Yisrael started growing late 1800s, early 1900s, and then all the more so after World War II, almost in parallel, the Jewish community of the United States becomes more and more comfortable, and it's almost like God is saying to us, listen, you say you want to live in Eretz Israel, you keep crying, you keep davening, you keep saying that that's what you want to do. Well, 
I'm going to give you a choice. Because if there's no choice, it's not much of a, of a test. It's not much of an Isayon, but I'll give you a choice. And so the United States, you know, which we could have used this great haven for 2,000 years while we were being pogromed, uh, it comes about Dafka when we do have a place to go in Eretz Israel, but it seems to set up this Nisayon uh, to see if we really want to go. Right, right. I agree. And I feel like, I feel like the American, much segments of the Orthodox American Jewish community have stopped feeling like they're supposed to, they're, like they're even supposed to be there in some kind of an ideal world. And that's a challenge. I know when, back when the Intifada was happening, I went for a family vacation in Israel with, you know, with my family. I had little children, and somebody in my community said, how can you take your children there? And it was so astounding to me. I said, you know, those people are living there all the time with their children. I'm going to be staying in a four- or five-star hotel. You know, it's not that hard of a, of, a, of a hardship for me to go there and be with them for a week or two when they're going through this all the time. Right. I have a friend I like who said... I have a friend who says, I want to make Aliyah to the King David. Yeah. Right. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Mayor Weingarten, and we are talking to Rabbi Gidon Rothstein about the lack of emphasis on Aliyah in the American Jewish community. You mentioned a few ideas in your article about what we might be able to do, and it's all in matters of education. You, you talk about education of adults, and I was thinking of, Something David Ben Gurion said. He said, "Give me the kids, and the adults will follow." Right. How do we get this subject into the elementary school and the high school education? What can we do, and is anyone doing it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we have to blame the schools for this. Meaning, I feel like, I don't know every school, but I feel like many dedicated educators that I know are trying to do what they're trying to do, but they have an extremely busy day. You know, they have a, a lot of stuff they have to accomplish, especially if you're in what's called a modern orthodox school. You're trying to co- uh, accomplish a real general studies curriculum with a real Torah curriculum. I feel like, and so it gets mentioned and it's out there, but it's not out there as much as it could be. But I, I just don't know. I feel like, you know, I don't know about, I feel like camps that were identified with the Zionist movement don't push Aliyah as much as they used to. And I feel to some extent, like educators have their hands a little bit tied because, they're not moving there, and they're not living there, and it gets, after a while, it gets to be a problem. You know, when a rabbi of a shul is a rabbi of a shul for 25 years, he may sincerely think that he's doing something important, and but that other people who aren't doing anything important should think about going, but it gets hard. You know, you can't live with people and over and over and over again just tell them, you know, I think you should be living there. So, I don't know, I think it's a very, very difficult challenge. I think it's a difficult challenge. On the other hand, if rabbis and educators all made Aliyah, I have a friend who's in the rabbinate, and he complains about the fact that he feels like rabbis and educators make Aliyah in greater percentages, which you'd expect because they're sensitive to all these issues, but he feels like there's a huge brain drain in terms of American chinuch and, uh, and, 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 and the rabbinate. So right. I think it's a big challenge. I think it's just a huge challenge. I think schools are doing I, – I don't know that I would blame I, – I have blamed schools for many other things and many other occasions. I'm not sure I would blame schools. I agree with you. You give me the kids, but the kids are not getting it from the home. And I think if they're not getting it from the home, it's very difficult for the school to, to put it in. And, and, uh, and I'm not sure that it's, we, it's fair to expect them to, given all the other things we expect them to do. That almost begs the question, based on what your article is saying, this is such a core, center, pillar of Judaism right. that the schools maybe should find the time to... So the question isn't find the time to do what to do. It's find the time to do more than they're already doing. Right. Whereas I think schools are already doing 
a lot on that issue. Mm-hmm. I feel like I could be wrong, but I feel like you know there are these there are big Yom Hatzalot celebrations and there are Yom Yom Yerushalayim celebrations and there's concern when things are happening in Israel and they feel like people are doing stuff. And the question is, how much are you going to warp all the other things if you? So my, my I feel like if a kid if a child today comes from a home that cares about Aliyah and that cares about moving to Israel, those children will find in their local schools tremendous support for that. And they'll see the lessons that the school is giving out on those issues, and it will fortify them in that. That's what I feel like. I could be wrong, but that's what I feel like. It brings up another question. I know that there are thousands of, of kids that go for their post-high school year to Israel, spend a year there, are really come back with a tremendous love of Israel. And yet I've heard from a lot of the leadership of those one-year programs that earlier on they pushed Aliyah more, and they got a lot of pushback from parents who said, hey, I don't want you convincing my kid to make Aliyah. I don't want my kids to make Aliyah. Back off. Right. And they did. Right. I agree, because they know where they're... They know, you know, they have to make a cost-benefit assessment. Right. They lose all the kids' parents. It's true. Many, many parents don't want their kids being, don't want to send the kids to a place that's going to send the kid a different message than they're sending the kid. And they want their kid back near them. And that's probably... Like that. and, and I'm talking about, when I say parents, I mean good, from learned people who make time for Torah, who do chesed, who give tzedakah. And then the idea that their kid would stay in Israel right after high school and build their life there is is horrifying to them. Right. So I, know, I, I know people like that. So then it comes back, I guess, to the parents. And, and I, I, how do we get the message to the parents that this needs to be a part of their life? That's... So I, I feel like it's a challenge. I feel like communities, you know, I think there are ways to do it, but communities don't want to do it. Meaning a community build, you know, you build a magnificent shul. What kind of a message are you sending? You're sending this is a show that's going to be here for 50 years. Because right. we're going to be here for 50 years. Right. So I, you know, but on the other hand, if you don't build a nice show, people will go elsewhere. So there's a, there's a real fine line there. You know, and, I, and, and well, again, I don't know that I don't, wouldn't blame Rabbanim for having a difficulty with it. I, I feel like Rabbanim could be challenging their Congress more. could be making it clear that these are issues that they have to worry about and, and, and have on their mind and be concerned with. Meaning, I think when rabbis are building shuls, I think they have the ability to think about these issues and raise these issues. I think rabbis, I do think rabbis should once a year should be raising this question. Are we, should we be thinking about Aliyah? Did we, you know, let's say somebody's 25 and they say, you know, I don't think I can make it financially. 20 years later, some of these people have made it big. And they have, you know, plenty of money. So what's the reason not to go there? That's they get comfortable. So rabbis should be bringing that up. The problem for rabbis is that they bring it up too much, they lose their jobs. Yeah. It's the so same, it's the same blowback. It's, it's the same pushback that the right. schools Right. Rabbis have a fine line they need to walk as well, and it's very difficult. Right? How rabbis move their congregants from point A to point B is a very difficult challenge, and I think many rabbis have stopped trying to move them, and they just put stuff out there, and whoever comes to them with stuff, they respond, but... They're no more than that. So it's a problem. Sounds like a catch-22. It sounds like you're saying that it's, it's, it's really a situation where there's no, there's no real solution. Because if, if you do it too much, you're going to lose the people. You're going to lose the leadership. If you don't do it enough, then it's not happening. down on the jump, right? So, that's the, so I was recently, for other reasons, pointed out that Gamar says, nobody knows how to give to the club today, and nobody knows how to take to the club today. 
so this is an issue in which we need tokacha, and, and, and we don't know how to do it well, and we don't know how to take it well. So taking it is a big problem. Right. I would end off uh, from my perspective, and then I'll ask you for your, you know, summary thoughts. Uh, I, there is some positive, I think, to it. Going back some 30-some-odd years when I was in my late teens and early 20s, growing up in a modern Orthodox Jewish community, someone mentioned Aliyah. It was it was a joke. It, it, it was like, no way. I think that today there is more of an openness to it. There's nefesh benefesh. There's some practical solutions. And there are families from communities like Teaneck and, um, and, and Riverdale and I'm sure many, many others that make Aliyah and maybe become a chalutz lifnei amachane. The people then go to visit and they see them and they see how their life is and that life in Israel could be good. So I think that that's a positive thing, and I think that growth of the gap year might maybe in a half a generation or a generation from now have some influence where these kids have such a kesher to Israel. I mean, the fact that you have kids today who, after their gap year, joined the army, which, again, when I was growing up, I don't know that anybody ever did that. And yet today you do have, again, they're not great in number, but you have. Maybe these are some hopeful signs of the future. I never want to be one to, to speak out against hope. So if these are hopeful signs, I, I hope they'll be hopeful signs for the future. I think the numbers don't bear out that it's anything big, but we can always hope that it'll turn into something big. Okay, I accept that. I wrap up, uh, first of all, by thanking you very, very much for joining us. We will post on our Facebook page links to all your books, uh, the one, the, the, the free one and the ones that people can purchase on Amazon. And we wish you continued success in all your endeavors. And thank you so much for joining us on the it. Israel Show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Mayor. <laughs> Oh.
Now that's appropriate for uh, right after the interview with Rabbi Rufstein, Hamasala Eretz Yisrael, off of the album Bojack, the best of Jewish a cappella. My name is Mayor Wangart, and you're tuned to The Israel Show. Um, okay, we're running out of time. We will not get to Daniel Gordas' piece on why Europe has a problem with Israel, but God willing, we'll do it next time. In the meantime, we'll post a link to it on our Facebook page for those who want to um, watch it in the meantime. It is a very interesting take on why Europe hates Israel so much. And it's not the usual suspects. And uh, as a postscript to um, the interview with Rabbi Rothstein, I want to point out that Rabbi Dr. Lord Jonathan Sachs, who we've mentioned many times on this show, and on Jamin the AM, has retired from his position as Chief Rabbi of the United Kingdom. So his new website is Rabbi Sachs, S-A-C-K-S dot O-R-G, triple W dot Rabbi Sachs, S-A-C-K-S dot O-R-G. And if you go there, you can download a free book, free ebook, 28 pages, outlining Rabbi Sachs' philosophy and vision for Judaism in modern times. Judaism engaged in the world. And um, here's a great, great quote from the book. The battle of the 21st century, says Rabbi Sachs, is the one that Jews have waited for for at least 2,000 years. What if? What if we had a Jewish state, we were asking throughout the generations? And what if we could do what Jews have been commanded to do since the days of Moshe. Build a society based on Torah values of righteousness, justice, kindness, and compassion, the great prophetic virtues. What if we live in a world where non-Jews no longer look down on Judaism as inferior to Christianity, Islam, or enlightenment, or universalism? What if they actually respected it as a source of wisdom and inspiration? Well, these are no longer what-ifs, Rabbi Sachs continues. They are the actuality within which we live. And here's the money quote, I believe. Sometimes, says Rabbi Sachs, sometimes the Jewish world can seem like a group of passengers on a train who are arguing with such passion that they entirely fail to notice that the train has reached its destination and it's time to get out. This is what happens when we forget what Judaism does, that that Judaism does not mean living in the past. It means living with the past, but with eyes firmly turned toward the future. We'll post a link to that book that you can download a free ebook from Rabbi Sachs and his new website. We're going to end 
this three weeks edition of the Israel Show with the Maccabees and Lachadodi, cover of uh, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Not before we thank all of you, everybody around the world for listening, tuning in, whether you're doing so live or on the archives at NachumSiegel.com. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network. And as always, my very special thanks to Nachum Siegel. Stay tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network for appropriate three weeks music. Until next time, we meet. This is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race. Nick, I belong.